The Bible reading is Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 11 on page 1051. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or There it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding corn together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Thank you, Debbie. Now that's... uh... An interesting reading, isn't it? We'll see what that means. But uh, the children are going to be uh, learning themselves. Uh, so Natalie's going to take our children out. Natalie, are you going to be able to manage with the crowd? Yeah, five. And four. Hmm? Four, right. Okay. Okay, so... Um, They've gone off to their little corner. We'll carry on with ours. And the question, I guess, we want to ask is, how do we know the future that Jesus talks about is ever going to happen? 
It's a question worth asking because Christians keep banging on about this future. And especially we've seen that as we've gone through this little bit of the Bible we're looking at, Luke's Gospel. Remember when we looked at Luke chapter 16? It started off with Jesus saying, look, be careful how you use your money. Use it to make eternal friends in the future. That was the start of uh, chapter 16. Chapter 16 finished with the story of a rich man who died. And most of the story is about what happened in the future after he died. Can't get away from the future, in other words. And certainly true of chapter 17, which we looked at last week, verses 1 to 10. Which had a fantastic encouragement for us to live with the future on our minds. Doing, in other words... Now, what we will do then? Perfectly forgiving people. Serving Jesus from morning until evening. I'm considering it a fantastic privilege to be able to do that. That's what the future is like. So we've been seeing about that future in chapter 16, chapter 17 so far. And... We've got to admit, haven't we, that it's a crazy way to think of living life now if the future that Jesus is talking about is never going to happen. So how do we know it will? Well, the Bible says, and I don't mean to be Irish in saying it, but if you want to know what the future is going to be like, you want a proof that it's going to be like that? Well, the proof is in the past. Look to the past and you see what the future is. Just like we did with those people we saw uh, in the Guess My Face game that we played earlier. If you understand the past, you might just be able to understand what the future is going to hold in store. And Jesus says that uh, the past uh, can be looked at in two places. You can look at the past by what happened to Jesus and what he did in the New Testament and you see what the future is going to be like and you can look at the past in the Old Testament and see what happened at the time of Noah and Lot in the Old Testament and you see what the future is going to be like that's what this little passage is all about you will know what the future is like if you understand the past and particularly the past in the Bible. So let's go and ask, what did happen to Jesus? Um, Or what happened at the time of Jesus in the New Testament? And so he tells us about these ten lepers. It's to show us what the future is going to be like, that Luke tells us what happened to these ten lepers in verses 11 to 19. Now you see, leprosy was pretty contagious. That means you could catch it really easily. And so way back in the Old Testament, Moses wrote about how you could identify leprosy and then isolate leprosy so it wouldn't go to anybody else. And so Moses gave very, very clear instructions. If you have leprosy, get away from all other people. Now, if your leprosy was to be healed, 
Moses also said what you have to do, you have to go to the priest, and the priest knew how to check and to say whether or not you were well. But for the most part, they didn't have to do that, and therefore the lepers had no contact with people. That's why the lepers in verses 12 and 13 had to shout out in a loud voice, because you can see at the end of verse 13, they were standing at a distance, and therefore they had to shout. You were cut off from people. And you were cut off from God because you couldn't go anywhere near the temple if you were a leper. So the leper had a disease that rather reminded people about what sin was like to be cut off from God and to be cut off from people. That's the effect that sin has as well. And Jesus heals leprosy because he heals sin. He's on his way up to the cross to do that. And with a word, he doesn't have to do very much. That's a, a very good a bit of note-taking there, Abigail, I can see. Um, uh, shall I take that away from you, or are you going to, to um, uh, keep working? So uh, what we're going to do is to see how uh, Jesus basically tells them with just a word to head for the temple, to go and see the priest. And you can just imagine, can't you, what it would be like when uh, those lepers got to the temple. You can just imagine, can't you, temple security saying, sorry, mate, you can't come in here. And the lepers say, too late, friend, we are in here. What are you going to do? Chuck us out? And the uh, security melts away. Because they're not going to touch them. So they go to the priest's office and they knock on the door. And they say, we've come to talk about uh, uh, getting your uh, notes saying that we're healed. And uh, there they are, the priests in their uh, uh, room sitting together. And they've never had to pick up Moses' guidelines on how you check out healed lepers because it's never really happened before. So what do they do? Well, they get the most recent priest that's just come out of college and they say, you go and deal with it. We're having a tea break. And as the young rookie goes out the door, you can just imagine, can't you, the rest of the priests saying, nine lepers healed in one day? You've got to be having a laugh. But actually the spotlight is not on the nine lepers, it's on the one who turns back and goes to Jesus. Now in verse 13, he's shouting, not because of distance, he's shouting because of delight. And um, you can see that, can't you, especially in verse 15, where one of them, when he saw he was here, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And Jesus says, that's the mark of someone who is well, in verse 19, literally 
he says to him, your faith has saved you. In other words, this man had something that the others didn't because he understands that in Jesus, you have got a God worth praising. So he is very different to the others. Even though he was a Samaritan and uh, wouldn't be expected to put two and two together in that way. Yet he understands exactly who Jesus is. And as he falls down and thanks God, what he's giving us really in verse 16, as he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, he's giving us a picture of what it would be like for you and me in the future when we're in front of him as well. So uh, at the moment, we'll praise God, we'll sing songs in church, and uh, what uh, will happen is that um, uh, we don't really engage properly, do we? Uh, it's, It's something that we do with our mouths, but not often fully engaging in our hearts. But when it hits us, when we're in front of him, what Jesus has done, especially when we realize what he has actually saved us from, because one day in hell is worse than a thousand lifetimes with leprosy. When we understand that we're in front of the person who has done all that for us, then we will be there doing what this leper did in verse 16. So if you want a bit of a tip on how to praise God more today, then take a picture of yourself in verse 16. And put that picture of yourself in your wallet, as it were, in your mind. There you are, on your face, at his feet, praising God. And you will begin to understand the liberation of beginning to praise him now for the great joy that will be yours on that day. Praising him today isn't as easy as it was for that leper because Jesus isn't here to do those physical things for us anymore. But take this picture of yourself and keep verse 16 in your mind. See that this is what you will be like if you're one of his people. And you will begin to feel your heart opening up in praise even before then. You see, Jesus is God's trailer for heaven. He has this effect of heaven on the people that uh, he meets. And yet these amazingly thick Pharisees go up to him in verse 20 and they ask in effect, so when's it going to happen then, this uh, kingdom of yours? There they are popping up to ask, so when? And Jesus says in verse 21, now it's in your midst. But they can't see it. All that they see in front of him 
is an ordinary Jewish bloke. Who'd think that he was the one who was going to bring heaven into their lives? And then they reject him. And when they reject him, what do you find? You start going off. Uh, people say, well, here's, here he is. Go and follow him there. There he is. Verse 23. Not literally Jesus, but there's the person who's going to make this future difference for you. And they run after any other person who's promising them a different future except for the only one who really can. And that's true today, isn't it? Those famous names we saw on the screen. Uh, we didn't stick Tony Blair there, but in 1997, when Tony Blair became Prime Minister, if you were around, you know how the country was really excited how this young man was going to make a difference to Britain. Go around the country and ask people now what they think of Mr. Blair. What about when Mr. Obama became President of the United States? The whole country, all of it, big as it is, was fever pitch in excitement, thinking here was a person who's going to unite the country, black and white, and get things done at last. Go to America now and ask them what they think has changed. Next year, our general election, people will be putting themselves in front of you, different leaders. Look, we can make the future different for you. And none of them go to the one person who can make a difference. The one person who's able to polax people in praise because of the future that he puts in front of them. And Jesus showed us that's what his future was going to be like by doing it already in the past. That's why Christians don't have daydreams about heaven. Heaven is not a daydream, it's an action replay. If you understand what Jesus did then is a trailer for what the future will be. So we look to the past and we'll see the future there. And it's also true of the past in the Old Testament as well, in the time of Noah and Lot. Jesus says when he comes, in verse 24, no one's going to miss it, but no one's going to expect it either. How do you know? That's all in the past. It's just as it was in the days of Noah in verse 26. It's the same as in the days of Lot. The future will be just like this if you look at verse 30. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Now let me tell you, Noah's ark was not a little side project he had going on in his garage when no one was looking, okay? Noah's ark was big. For him to be doing that in public view of everybody else meant that the future that Noah was getting ready for was no secret. In fact, Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness. In chapter 2, Peter 2, 
verse 2, verse 5. In other words, he's a preacher. Everybody within earshot knew what was coming next when Noah built his ark. So the future was preached and yet the rain when it came caught everybody off guard. That was the same in the days of Lot. And Jesus brings Noah and Lot like two witnesses to explain how people are going to be caught unprepared. Two witnesses in the Bible are all you need if you're someone who's looking for the truth. And these two witnesses had two things in common. First, they loved, they ignored the future because of the present. In other words, they loved the good things that God had given them, like food and drink and marriage, more than they loved the God who gave them these things. God gives us these good things, like food and drink and marriage, in order that we will love him. But they are the very things that take our eyes off him. Just like the healing that the ten lepers had, they were meant to have the effect of seeing how marvelous Jesus was, but they just went away to enjoy their healing. One turned back to love him. In Lot's day, they had even more reasons listed to love God in verse 28. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. In other words, in Lot's time, the games moved on. The city markets are all full of people buying and selling. The countryside is equally flush. Lots of people planting things. The future could not have looked more secure. Buildings going up everywhere. And life always promises that to be more of the same. Life never tells us it's going to end quickly, unexpectedly. And in both cases, judgment comes from top down in the form of rain. So the direction is from God judging man. Water rain in Noah's time, fire rain in Lot's time, maybe from a volcano. You know what's like when Pompeii was uh, covered in ash. It's not out of the realms of possibility. This is real. And in both cases, escape was possible because in each case there were survivors. But the present has such a grip on us. We ignore the future promises of God because we've got so much going on in the present that we want to think about instead. You know, even when all the signs of judgment are all around us and they're happening already, um, even when there are signs of the future going on around us already, we still 
can't let it go. So Lot's wife couldn't turn her back on the old life in verse 32. She's almost in the clear and then she turns back and uh, turns into a pillar of salt if you know the story. It is just a striking example, isn't it, of how you can be heading for a new future but you can't quite get the old life out of your system. And Lot's wife is a monument to say we can't point two ways. And then verses 34 to 36 tells us that outwardly you cannot tell who's got the new future and who hasn't. Because in this life they're doing the same things, sleeping and working. But some will be ready and some will be left. They look the same when they're at the well, but they are very different. Two different futures waiting for them. The Christian and the non-Christian body look exactly the same on the mortuary slab. But they've got two very different futures lined up. And the last thing Jesus says in verse 37, well, they kind of come to him, don't they, in that last verse of Luke chapter 17. And they say, uh, Jesus, just one last question. Is it all to do with the past? Are there any signs in the present that get us ready for the future? Is there anywhere in the present where we can see these words are important? And Jesus replies, yes, where the vouchers gather. In other words, wherever there is death, my words about the future need to come into your mind. In London, we don't have vouchers, so that's not much of a sign for us, is it? But in London, we have undertakers that serve the same task. Whenever you see one, they're there to help us to think about what Jesus said about the future. And let's face it, they move slowly enough. They give us enough time to take it in. In other words, what he's saying, you don't need to wait for a whole community to be wiped out. That's happened just twice. But death comes individually. The undertakers are summoned to each one person's funeral. So we need to remember these words whenever that happens. What's the takeover for us tonight? Well, look, if Christianity is new to you, the encouragement is to trust what Jesus says about the future, even if, like Lot, you are the only person in town who will do that. Everybody else will think we're going to be all right. Well, they did that in the days of Noah. They did that in the days of Lot. But you need to be like Noah and Lot rather than the crowd to have the new future that God has given God has given us so much to prepare for this future in the past. Through the ten leper story, he shows us what the future is going to be like if we fall at his feet. 
and through Nur and Lot. He tells us what it's like if we simply live for the present. Friends, the past tells us about the future. We need to live with that in our minds. What about if you're used to going to church? Well, if we're church people, we might know and be very familiar with the Bible's encouragement that we need to escape. But isn't it true that we can be in church and know about all this and still find it really hard to turn our back on this life? So we try and face two ways. Well, remember Lot's wife. She stands in history to remind us how easy it is to be in the escaping group, to be almost in the clear. And yet, and yet, and yet, there are so many of the attractions of the past still in the system that she's still held back and wants to return to what she had. My friends, remember Lot's wife. Because if you don't remember her, you will resemble her. And then thirdly, what is, if you're a believer and you want to live for the future, what's going to help us to do that the most? I wonder if the sight of us praising God the way that leper did is what should be our key. Because anticipating joy is a really good way to love God for the things that he gives us. If leprosy is a visual aid for sin, well, we have reason to love Jesus more and to thank him more than leper did because you and I know the rest of this story. You and I know how Jesus went to the cross, how on the cross he took on himself our disease that cut him off from God and left him isolated on the cross with everybody else against him. We know that he took on our disease on the cross in order that we might have his future close to God and back in fellowship with his people. We know that he did that for us. We have this person who will be in front of us in the future. It is going to be heart-filling to meet him as the praise gets louder and louder as more and more sinners fall at his feet. That joy will keep us pointing towards this future rather than wanting us to turn away from it. So, in the light of the future, let's keep beginning to praise him for his future even before the full effect of it sinks in as it will when we see him face to face let's pray that God will help us to live in anticipation of that future as we take in the lessons from the past our Heavenly Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus and for all that he did in the past 
to show us what heaven will be like. Thank you for his very gracious warnings against loving the good things that you give us rather than loving you. And please help us to live with this vision of deep gratitude in your presence. And may that begin to deepen our praise in the present. And we pray that for the glory of your name. Amen.